This is the GPL Podcast from GoForPuckLive.com. This podcast is sponsored by Jerry Peters and First Class Mortgage. Our expertise, your peace of mind. Visit us at firstclassmortgage.com. Now, here's Jupe and Vigo. Good evening and welcome to the GPL podcast, episode number 220. Well, Vigs, I'm keeping my fingers crossed right now because I've had some major internet connection problems, but you can see me and hear me all right, can't you? You're looking great, just like the college hockey season. We're underway, and what a week we have coming up. What a week, of course it is. It's North Dakota week, and what happens when we have North Dakota week, Vigs? We get one of the best writers in college hockey to join us. Well, let's bring him on, Brad Schlossman from the Grand Forks Herald. There he is, Brad. How you doing? Good evening, guys. Doing uh, doing all right. Glad you could join us again. I think this is like your fifth time on, so we, we think of you as a regular now. Yeah. So. If we <laughs> had ropes, we'd are, give you one. <laughs> that, means, that means the teams are playing regularly, I guess. So, uh, well, I heard Mister Barry actually talking about you know we got one year left on the contract and then need some renewal, don't we? Yeah. Yeah, next year they play in North Dakota on October 20th and 21st, I believe it is. You got it there, folks. <laughs> um, and then the year after, they will not play that year. North Dakota is basically set. They have two games left to fill, and I'm sure it's going to be a two-game buy. They're going to bring in someone for two and be done. And then I think they'll look at the year after for restarting the uh, the contract, it, it sounded the vibes I got both parties seemed interested in, in signing a new deal. Um, but you know, kind of sounds like a no brainer, huh? Viggs? <laughs> yeah. Bob said today that they had to take a year off because of complications, but they want to get this series back on the books going forward. Cause it's such a great atmosphere when these two programs play each other and the fans are what make it the series that it is. I expect to see a lot of green coming down to the Twin Cities this weekend. Well, one difference is is Viggs is it won't be Thanksgiving weekend where their the students are just not there. Yeah, I think this will be the first time in like six years where the students should fill up the building for this series at Minnesota. So I know that's going to provide a lot of atmosphere. And I've heard rumors that they might be trying to get as many students into the building as possible. Oh, boy. If that, so that ends, could be like, a lot of fun. If that ends up like the Michigan game last year, you're going to have a lot of students without a place to sit or they'll just have to stand somewhere. Well, they'll figure out ways to fill them in. I mean, we've seen plenty of empty seats in Marriott Arena over the last decade. So I think when the students are there, they totally make a difference in the building, and I think it, the players on the ice will enjoy it more. Well, let's pick up on what happened the last time each team played last weekend. Brad uh, Quinnipiac came into North Dakota and uh, skated to a 5-5 tie. North Dakota did get an extra 
quote unquote point, but didn't really count if you think of the the pairwise in the long run. And then a six two loss to Quinnipiac. Um, was that surprising to you? A lot of a lot of the weekend was. Uh, first of all, I thought it was going to be really low scoring. Quinnipiac's a really good defensive team. They don't allow many chances. Like their shots on goal allowed the last year and a half is extremely low. And so I think last year they were 26 and one when scoring the first goal of the game. So usually they score the first one and it's over. It's North Dakota lost the first, second and third on Friday. And so you're thinking this is the last team you want to get buried uh, against. And they came all the way back, actually took the lead in that game. So I was, they threw 43 shots on goal. That was the most Quinnipiacs allowed in over a decade. Um, it, it just, you know, you usually don't see that, that, that was really surprising. And then the, the next night, it was a little bit more of what you expect from Quinnipiac. It was North Dakota had a lot tougher time generating chances. They were really good in the neutral zone. Uh, things piled up at the end and, you know, as a whole, uh, North Dakota doesn't allow 11 goals on a weekend very often. So, uh, th- this is not a team you project to have a lot of defensive struggles. They have a pretty good decor. They have enough veteran forwards to where, you know, if I was going to say what is going to challenge this team, um, allowing goals wouldn't be high on the list, but clearly they have a lot to clean up and maybe early in the year, that's not a huge shock that, teams have things to clean up you know i do know one thing i know bob Motzko would say you know it's early in the season we know north, where north dakota is going to be come january similar to where he wants his gophers to be mm-hmm. um is there anything that really concerned you or do you think it is just some growing pains i i think he, there has to be a larger sample size to sit there and say you know i think this is going to become an issue i i just you know and, and you know i think quinnipiac one of the best teams in the country uh, I had them as my preseason number one overall. Uh, I actually had Quinnipiac and Minnesota one, two overall in my preseason rankings. So uh, North Dakota is going to get really good challenges right off the bat and kind of find out where they are. And I think that can be a good thing. Just you, there are going to be things exposed in your game when you play really good teams and then you have time to fix them and, and go forward with uh, some adjustments you make. Uh, I, I think the makeup of this team is pretty good, though. So I, I didn't sit there and watch the one series and think this team's in for a long season. I, you know, if had Quinnipiac come in and outshot them, forty-five to fifteen, I think that would be more alarming. You'd say, "Ooh, you know." I, I didn't leave that game saying, "You know, they just can't hang with this team." It was more of a there are issues, but they're fixable issues. It wasn't that they were completely outclassed. So. And if we go back a couple weeks, we know that Minnesota had a bye last week of Eags, but uh, 4-1 win at home against Minnesota State. Head down to Minnesota State, and uh, I took the loss 3-2. to two. What are your thoughts on those games? I thought both nights Minnesota had strong starts. I think when you play a series like Minnesota did against the Mavericks, you worry about the, the forecheck and the pressure that the Minnesota State's able to apply. And if the Mavericks get up on you and you start playing from behind, you know, that's a really challenging situation. But I thought Minnesota came out well both nights on Friday. Obviously, I think the the tide turned pretty quick in Minnesota's favor. You know, Jimmy Snuggerud had a night to remember for freshmen getting the, the hat trick with three goals with lots of explosive offensive plays. And you just saw a Minnesota team that was really in control the whole time. 
I remember looking up at the shots on goal about midway through the second, and I feel like Mankato might have had single-digit shots, and that was kind of typical of both nights. I think the difference on Saturday was that Minnesota State started to make a few plays when they had opportunities, and Minnesota really got passive. I, I didn't think they were aggressive making plays on the opportunities that were there for them. And they weren't under relentless pressure, but they just weren't making a positive impact on the game and maybe almost satisfied that they won the night before. And I think that's a good lesson for them in these matchups that, hey, you win that first game, the second one's going to be even harder. So you have to capitalize on your opportunities. And when you have a young team like Minnesota, you know that's maybe something they have to go through. You know, one thing I noticed, I was sitting with the Alex Micheletti right down there in Mankato, big uh, Minnesota State guy. We both thought the first two periods in Mankato were rather boring, Viggs. <laughs> I mean, they did the five-minute power play, which nothing happened for Minnesota. But, you know, it just seems like nothing really picked up till the third. And we started seeing some hits and some action. It just, it was rather blah for the first two periods. Yeah, and I think that was maybe Minnesota. They took their foot off the gas, and they weren't looking for offense as, as much as maybe they needed to. And, and the other part was, you know, that's what Minnesota State wants to do. So maybe they were controlling some line matchups and, and just frustrating Minnesota a little bit. And I think one of the things that hurt Minnesota on Saturday is their shifts got too long for some guys, and their lines started to get split apart here and there. Like you would see the centers stay out for 90 seconds you know, almost minute 40. And when that happens and they get out there with a different set of wings, now the next line kind of has a weird shift. And then the next line has a weird shift. And then they have that long power play of five minutes where they didn't really get a lot going and people are maybe trying to look for offense that's not there. That's a sign of a team that's maybe not ready for the season <laughs> and they need those experience to remind them, hey, college hockey's hard. You got to take... Shifts under a minute. You got to sometimes go to your ground game, and sometimes an ugly goal is what you need. You know, I, I'm looking at both man, uh, Minnesota State and Quinnipiac guys, and, uh, you know, tough schedule early in the season, but their conference schedules are quite a bit lighter. Are those the type of teams that might not be able to, you know, kind of keep that? strong type of play going throughout the season. I mean, Brad, what do you think of Quinn Piak? I mean, it, not the greatest conference. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, I think Harvard's really good in that league. Um, but outside of that, I, you know, Cornell probably finishes third. Um, we'll see where they're at. I think they play Duluth in a week or two, but uh, yeah, no, I, I think they're going to, uh, be right at the top of the rankings all year long. And they're going to go through. And that, that's the question. What happens when you come to the NCAA tournament, right? Um, in, in last year, uh, you know, it, it didn't go great for Quinnipiac. They, they did beat St. Cloud State, but they gave up a ton in that game. Um, you know, if uh, if David Hrennick plays in that game, St. Cloud State probably wins. Um, then, uh, of course, they get behind 4-0 against Michigan. And so, I, you know, did, did it hurt them not being able to continue playing that schedule? Maybe. 
Um, but, you know, Minnesota State, uh, they were great in the tournament. So it didn't seem to affect them at all. And, and I do think the CCHA is is going to be getting better. Yes, it is. Yeah. I mean, Northern, I think, is pretty good. I think Bowling Green is going to be a solid team this year. I think Bemidji State's going to be a tough out. Uh, you know, Michigan Tech, we'll see where they're at. They have a, a lot of turnover. But, you know, I think there are teams there that can that can really test you. But I think it's definitely hurt them in the past. I mean, we've seen Minnesota State really struggle in the NCAA tournament only till recently. Yeah. And I, I think we've seen some of the ECAC teams struggle a little bit when they get in the tournament. And I do think it's because the speed limit in the Big Ten by the end of the year is pretty high. Sometimes yeah. it takes the Big Ten teams a, a little while to get going because they are typically younger. And I think the NCAC, you know, by the time they get to the end of their season, they are very battle-tested. I think that's probably been part of the reason the NCHC teams have done so well in the tournament. Um, it, the league's been so deep that I think teams get used to, if you have a average to below average weekend, you're going to lose. Like the seventh place team in the league is, who is it this year? Is it Omaha? Is it Western? You know, I, it, the, you're facing a team that's going to be pretty legit and, I think that has helped them come tournament time that these teams are just so used to having to put the the pedal down every game or they're going to lose. And it's not something where I'm nearly not concerned about any of the NCHC teams, Vigs. I mean, look at Denver. They went and got swept last week, but they're going to be really strong by the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's any question those teams will find their stride. It is a little surprising to see them struggle in October so far. That typically, I don't think has been a trend for NCHC. They usually have done really well at the start of the year, so something to watch. Because it will impact the pairwise. Because in the past couple of years, the NCHC does so well in those non-conference games that it almost boosts everybody in the conference up in the mm-hmm. pairwise. And so then they get some better matchups in the tournament. So I think it's critical for them to get some wins here to, to kind of negate that. Yeah. Last weekend was a bad weekend for the league. You know, it was, you know, North Dakota got the the tie and loss against Quinnipiac Denver uh, lost a pair. Minnesota Duluth got swept. Um, you know, Colorado college went out to St. Lawrence and got swept, you know, from top to bottom. It wasn't, a, you know, St. Cloud state swept Wisconsin, but top to bottom, it was not a good, weekend for the nchc and we haven't seen a lot of those in the last you know nine years vig speaking of colorado college is that contract ever going to get fulfilled or is that pretty much gone are they going to come back to mariucci do we know we don't think they're coming back on any contract that's out there right now i know that bob does want to get back to going out to colorado maybe doing a game at denver and a game at cc at some point Oh, he likes getting out there, but we'll see what happens. You know, with turnover and coaching staffs, so you never know how, how they're going to do their non-conference scheduling because this part of the year is critical for every team to do well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah of course it is. Um, before we get into the big North Dakota series, we need to hear from our sponsor. Hey, Gopher Hockey fans. Jerry Peters here with First Class Mortgage. Mortgage rates have gone up in 2022, we've seen it on the news all year long, and many first-time homebuyers are asking themselves, can I still afford to buy a home? My question is, can you still afford to rent? The Department of Housing and Urban Development recently came out with their American Home Ownership Survey. 
it shows that the median renter now pays almost the identical monthly payment as the median homeowner. In fact, over the past two years, the national median monthly payment for homeowners has gone up 5.5%, while at the same time it's gone up 10.6% for renters. What does all this mean? It means it's still a really good time to buy a house. And if you're in the market, let me help. My telephone number is 612-940-3291. My email address is jerry at firstclasscorp.com or go to firstclassmortgage.com and fill out a free online application. Mention you heard about me on the GPL podcast and receive a $500 closing cost credit. Some restrictions do apply. My NMLS number is 480200. First Class Mortgages is 322842. This is not an agreement to lock into an interest rate under Minnesota law. First Class Mortgage is an equal housing lender. And of course, we thank Jerry for sponsoring the GPL podcast. It's always fun to have him on board with that. All right, let's open up some questions here. I see one question from Corey V. Jackson Blake, best forward on UND by Christmas or even sooner? What do you think, Brad? Uh, it's it's tough to uh, place him ahead of Reese Gaber just because, you know, Gaber is so much more accomplished. Um, that being said, Blake is really, really skilled. He, he's probably more skilled than, um, than Gaber but Gaber can really shoot the puck and make things happen and he can skate. So uh, I'd have a tough time saying he's definitely going to be better than uh, Reese Gaber, but he is, uh, he's elite. He's, uh, he's one of the guys that, you know, fans like coming to watch because he can pull you out of your seat. He's the exciting type of player who can go through a guy who can, he's unpredictable. Um, he's got a little bit of Evan Trupp in him for those longtime North Dakota fans that remember him. Uh, he's, you know, so I, I'd have a tough time saying he's going to be better than Gaber, but he certainly is a electric college player. Viggs, it does bring it down to one thing is that we are all getting older very fast because, um, it, it wasn't that long ago that his dad, Jason was playing for the North Dakota fighting Sioux. Yeah, it's, it's funny to think about that. I've been seeing a lot of Bantam rosters coming out, and I'm seeing a lot of familiar names. <laughs> you know, the Crowleys and Spears are having their kids that are they're starting to come up the ranks and, and play for their associations. So it's always uh, always an age check to see those names out there. Like a Snuggerood. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think the Gopher freshman class is a confident one. I don't know if Brad has seen much of the Gophers so far this year, but these freshmen are confident. Mm-hmm. You typically have Minnesota freshmen, they come and they're kind of getting their feet wet and they're trying to, you know, pass the puck to the upperclassmen to, to get on their good side. Not these guys. They are all shooters. They're yeah. all aggressive and they're all pretty physical. Yeah. No, I think it's uh, probably lends to the fact that they, they played at the, NTDP, you know, I don't know if a ton of their guys were there but in the past, but these guys have all played college teams, and that team had a really good record against college teams last year. They beat like half of them or more than half, so it probably feels to them like they've already done this. They maybe in certain ways feel like sophomores, but, um, you know, Snuggerud and, and Cooley certainly had a, a pretty uh, glowing record uh, against college teams. 
Definitely. I see this uh, question by Ben Larson. Did, did Jess's retweet about University of Texas hockey? You think they're going to go D1? Oh, I don't know if they're going to go D1, but those are some sweet-looking jerseys, Viggs. Yeah, those club teams in the South often uh, get a pretty nice jersey. You, know, you mm-hmm. can look at some of the Oklahoma ones and the UCLA and the USCU and the Oregon ones. Uh, some of the club teams are, are very well funded when it comes to jersey selections. I don't know if we'll ever see that kind of expansion to college hockey, but, uh, you know, Brad, you know, the last 10 years, we kind of lost some teams, but it's been recent last couple of years. We've added some back. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's been quite the transition, you know, with not just the leagues, but just teams existing. It has been, it's been an interesting ride. You know, I think had the pandemic not happened, we, Good chance Illinois would be a thing. You know, they were very, very close. Um, oh, come on. They would tease in us for years. <laughs> I, I think they were real close. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, Navy's been, you know, a team that's been definitely interested in, in joining the D1 ranks. And I think that would be a really intriguing school to add uh, D1. But it's 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 very fun to sit here and speculate on which teams should add D1 because we could probably name like 40 of them that we think should. I'm going to cover North Dakota playing in in Las Vegas next week, so I'm sure after I get back, I'll be saying you and LV needs a team too. <laughs> well, I think with any of these schools, the the biggest thing is a donor. You know, like ASU, Penn State, they got these big donors, or a school that really wants to make a mark, like Lindenwood. And I think one of the things that's happening in hockey across the United States is tremendous growth. And I think as that growth happens and you know, the demographics that hockey attracts, you might just have someone who said, I had a great experience with my kid coming up through hockey and I want more of it in colleges and they might step forward and, and fund a program. I think we're going to see more expansion rather than less than the next 15, 20 years. What did I see? I might have been last week or the week before. Was it a, the Georgia Bulldogs club team or something like that? They had like 2,000 people at the game. It, yeah. was, it was a crazy yeah. thing. Yeah. That makes you think. <laughs> It'd be great to see an SEC, yeah. but I think that's a long way off. <laughs> Brad, do you think there are going to be any more changes with some of these leagues here? I mean, you know, we've got Arizona State coming in, uh, Augustana, you know, locally. I think they're going to the CCHA. Um, there's got to be more shuffling coming, isn't there? I think so. I, I don't think it's going to be as dramatic as it was 10 years ago. Um, but I think there is shuffling to be had. You know, Arizona State, uh, they've done everything now. I talk, kind of talked about this with Adam Olden this week. Uh, they've had success now they have a really nice new rink um they have things going pretty well down there i don't know what more they can do to you know be attractive to a conference i think that is going to happen at some point the nchc's kind of been in this spot where things have been going really well for the nchc and i think when they come back to the meetings they all say well why are we changing something things are going really well what 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 are we doing risking screwing up what we have. And I think that's one of the reasons uh, they've decided to, you know, stay, stand firm here. The other one, of course, is Arizona State's arena situation. 
was not tenable until they built this new rink. Uh, and then once they got the shovel in the ground, which I thought was going to be, okay, once they get this going, things might start happening. Well, then COVID hits and these conferences and commissioners and athletic directors, they're just trying to get to the next day. They're just trying to get yeah. the games played the next weekend, rescheduling games, worrying about expansion is the last thing on their mind uh, and, and things like that. They just are trying to live day to day. And now we've kind of gotten through that a little bit. And so now I think the the door is open again now to, to some talks. Um, the other one in the NCHC, uh, I don't think Chris Bergeron has made it a huge secret that he would like to see Miami aligned more with the schools that are in their geographical area. I think he would like to see them go to the CCHA. Right now, there is a massive buyout to leave the NCHC. Oh, okay. Uh, Miami, I cannot see paying the buyout. So if there is realignment, I think it would probably have to be a situation where the NCHC says, look, we understand. We'll waive the buyout. We'll bring this team in or we'll cut down the buyout from where it's at. Because if they don't, that's a large dollar amount to swallow for the, for the uh, school. Um, but I think there is an interest there. Uh, people have speculated, you know, Western going with them. I don't think Western has any interest in leaving the NCHC though. So <laughs> not things, now, now that they're successful, things have gone well for them. I yeah. think they like it there. I think Andy Murray liked it. I think uh, Pat Frischweiler likes it in the league. So uh, I don't, you know, that maybe throws a wrench in what could happen, but yes, to, you know, I think there is some dominoes. There are some dominoes that will fall. I don't think it'll be as dramatic as, you know, 2011 slash 13. I think the one thing about ASU though, is they're not exactly a like-minded school with the rest of the current NCHC. You know, it's a PAC 12 school. There's a lot of other things happening there. Most of the schools in the NCHC Hockey is a pretty big deal to mm-hmm. each institution. And I think that's one of the reasons why the NCHC works as well as it does. It's at the forethought of all their athletic directors. Mm-hmm. You know, they have a commissioner who's very engaged with the league, with the media, with everything that's happening. And so I don't know if you see that same kind of commitment at a school like ASU, even though they've done great getting a building and, and raising their profile. I think it's just a, a different fit. So that's just a different perspective on it. What about some of these outliers, Brad? Like the Alaska schools? They're they're in a tough spot. I you know it's you know especially Anchorage. You know they're they're not playing at Sullivan Arena anymore. Uh, I don't even know what the arena they're playing at is called. You, you know what really hurt them was when they built their new arena. They didn't make it for hockey. They have a basketball volleyball arena. They can't put hockey in there. Um, and, and that really was a tough spot for the hockey program to be in. So, you know, I just don't know what happens there. Uh, you know, Fairbanks seems to be committed. They're uh, finding games, you know, games to play. But that one is a really tough one because, I, you know, they're, you know, who's going to go play up there? That's, that's going to be a challenge. They, some teams will take their exemptions and go play up there and, uh, they're doing it, but I don't know what happens there. And this is where it might happen again, Beegs, where we might have some sub- subtraction. It's just because of the geography. 
Could be, but also, you know, as schools recover from COVID, college hockey coaches like to play extra games. True. And so they like having that exemption ability if their AD is okay cutting the check to, to get up there. So that's, that's one way to keep them going. Is that, you know, any kind of independent, you have to have a super good season yeah. to even be considered for the NCAA tournament. Yeah. I mean, really, you have to be part of a conference um, in order just to recruit it, almost, it seems like. Arizona State's been the outlier. They've been able to do it. They went to the NCAA tournament once in the pandemic year. They were going to be in. Like, they had, they were locked into that tournament. Um, but, you know, they also have the uh, – they can also dangle the carrot that, hey, when you come here, you can come here in January. And some <laughs> hockey coaches say, you know, that's not a bad idea. Let's go to Arizona um, instead of uh, – you know, do you want to come to Fairbanks and uh, at this time? And they look at the flights and every, you know, Arizona is not a really difficult place to get to for commercial flights either. Um, you know, Fairbanks, it's a process getting up there. It's an extra hour time change. And I, you know, I think some coaches are leery about it and I don't know. It, it's it, not easy to get to Penn state either, Viggs. <laughs> <laughs> well, they don't, uh, Travel anywhere, obviously. So they they play most of their non conference games at their arena. So must be a pretty tasty contract to go play Penn State. But obviously, it looked the, the Big Ten is pretty pretty stuck here, Viggs. I mean, maybe they had Illinois. Um, maybe some things change when you know some of those uh, Pac Ten schools come over. Maybe. Well, I mean, the Big Ten wants another team somehow. Yeah. I mean, they've all the coaches have made that clear. They they hate having the seven. It kind of throws everything off for scheduling during the conference season. Throws off their league tournament at the end of the year. It's just how long can they wait for another Big Ten institution to come up with a program? ASU would be a very good fit for the Big Ten. I just don't see it happening. I you know the one thing I've, I, I'm sure you guys have heard it repeatedly, but a, a really big deal is the academic profiles of the schools. And I believe the big 10 has only added two affiliate members ever. You could correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's Johns Hopkins for lacrosse and Notre Dame for hockey. Johns Hopkins and Notre Dame have distinct academic <laughs> profiles. So every time someone's even, people have speculated in the past, like North Dakota is going to go to the big 10 for hockey. I'm like, Johns Hopkins, Notre Dame, like they're, <laughs> these are monster academic institutions. And as much as uh, it would add to have a hockey school like that in that league, that's not the way the presidents look at it. So um, that's why I don't see Arizona state going there. And it has nothing to do with what the hockey coaches feel. They might all love Arizona State in the league. Oh, yeah. Go to the presidents, and that's who makes the ultimate decision. <sighs> Just a lot of interesting talk there. I, I, I'm enjoying that. But we need to get into this weekend, guys. North Dakota heading into Mariucci Arena. Um, Viggs, we're going to have a packed house. Could have another record crowd on hand this weekend, probably likely Saturday. Uh, under 100 tickets left for that game, or under 
Under 30, I think now. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. low. And it's just the single scattered tickets right now. Yeah. So, and then we, we've seen the student section the last couple of years is 10 times what it used to be in noise and showing up. Um, that'll be a little different compared to a couple of years ago when, when North Dakota came in and just wiped Minnesota off the map. Yeah, I remember being really surprised at the crowd the last two times well, they met North There's a lot of North Dakota fans and there's a lot of no-shows. I think if we look back at the scan ticket data, you know, there are 2,000 people that had tickets that couldn't find their way to the rink for the games. And it really showed in the atmosphere and the ice and the games weren't especially close as, as Minnesota got really outclassed. Uh, I think the first night played a little bit better than the next, but just weren't really in it and competitive. I think we're going to see a much better series this weekend as Minnesota really just has one of the best defensive cores in college hockey history, perhaps. I mean, it's a really deep group, and I think that allows them to withstand a lot of pressure. I think the big question for me is how does Minnesota play up front? You know, what kind of game can the centers bring to this series? Because I think they kind of disappeared a little bit against Minnesota State. And the Mavericks really muscled up on Cooley in that series. And so we'll see how he adjusts going up against the Fighting Hawks. All right. What do you think, Brad? Yeah, I, I think it will be a lot different to, you know, I was looking back at some numbers from the last time they played. And I think the year before Minnesota missed the NCAA tournament and they were like five, six and three heading into that game against North Dakota. So I, I don't know if there is a sense in North Dakota was rolling. I think at that point, they, they, they were really playing well. Yeah. And Corey, Corey V says in chat, they were like 10, one and two. <laughs> so I think there were some Minnesota fans that said, you know, let's just stay home and enjoy our Thanksgiving day Turkey. And uh, you know, I, I don't think it was highly anticipated. Um, and from the North Dakota end, I, I think they said, you know what, look, this team is playing really well. Let's have Thanksgiving in the cities. And so they went down there and, and now, you know, Minnesota's had a, a couple of good years behind them. Uh, this is an, an anticipated team. So I, I feel like from the Minnesota side, the anticipation is significantly different than where the, the team was at heading into the last time. So, uh, it'll be a, a great atmosphere in there. North Dakota has not played a road game this year yet. So this is this is going to be their first road game period. So I think that is going to be a challenge to uh, go on the road and play in this uh, atmosphere. You know, I, I don't know if a lot of the guys on the team have played in a ton of raucous atmospheres at college because two years ago, everyone was playing in front of nobody. Um, last year, there were still some coming back from COVID. Um, and so I, I think this could be a, a new experience for them just to, with, you know, uh, some full crowds and uh, anticipation for this rivalry series. Well, I know I'm excited. You know, Viggs, uh, that, that Michigan game last year, though, it didn't turn out well for Minnesota. The crowd was crazy. It was loud. It'll be that crowded this weekend, except there'll be a lot more green there, no matter what people say. And it's going to be noisy on both ends, which I just love. 
Yeah, I mean that Michigan game, even though it didn't turn out well, like the pregame atmosphere was really good. You know, this student section shows up for warmups, which has kind of been a issue for student sections at Minnesota in the past. They had you know, two thousand people there, or three thousand before they even, like you said, before they even came out. Yeah, it felt like in you know the pre-COVID years, the student section was trying to show up for puck drop. Now they they show up early, which really changes things for them because i think that was one thing that minnesota always saw when they went to und when they went to minnesota duluth when they went to st cloud you know those opposing fan bases that's what they did and so to have minnesota have that now at home is is kind of exciting you know the thing for me is to see how how does minnesota grow from the last week against minnesota state you know i think they're having some issues with continuity i think matthew nyes has gotten off to a little bit of a slow start you know, he can really dominate play along the wall, but he doesn't seem to be meshing with anybody. So there's some wonderings, you know, who does he play with this week? Does he play with Cooley and Snuggerud as Mosco tries to look for some magic on his lines? And then what does that do to the rest of the lineup? Because if they do do that, I think it kind of makes things a little unbalanced for Minnesota. It does. And, yep. and we've been talking about their depth. And, and what does that look like? Because they, they do need scoring in multiple lines. And uh, we haven't seen that really so far. Uh, one thing, Brad, that uh, North Dakota will bring is a goalie who is familiar with playing Minnesota. Yeah, Drew DeRitter's uh, played at Mariucci five times. He started four games there. So um, he will have an idea of what it's like to play there. Um, I'm guessing the the experience around the game will be a little bit different than when some of those last place Michigan State teams were coming in. So, yes. uh, but he will at least have some familiarity with uh, the rink and um, maybe some of the angles from the uh, Olympic rink and uh, everything there. So, uh, yeah, he's. Uh, I would assume he's going to start. Uh, North Dakota has equally split their goalie starts so far, two and two, but. Um, Drew DeRitter has started more games at Mariucci than Jacob Helston has started road games in his college career. <laughs> so I think that's that would be a really challenging place to, to put him in. And I think that's one of the reasons you go get a fifth-year senior like DeRitter because um, he's been around and seen a lot of things. I do imagine he has not seen as many odd man rushes in those previous <laughs> starts as he'll see this weekend if he plays. I, I think this game will be a little more back and forth as all the players try to make their mark in this game. Oh, but that's what makes it fun, Vegs. That's exactly what makes it fun. Great this is kind of like one of those world junior games, you know, <laughs> where the teams are just so excited to play, they can't help themselves but try to create offense. And and sometimes that leads to transition the other way, which is what makes this weekend so much fun. Racehorse hockey is the best, though, Brad. It's, I mean, as someone reporting at the games, you love to see it because it's just it's so exciting because you then you feel the energy of the fans and the way everything's just moving. I love some racehorse hockey, and that's something we've seen a lot between these two teams. You know, I keep a live box score during the games with all the goal descriptions and everything. Um, there are times when I say, can you please stop scoring just for like – six minutes like I need to catch up like the Quinnipiac game uh, last week and then the second period I was I was hoping there were going to be no goals for a little bit so I'm, I'm kind of dialed in on my work and sometimes I'm uh, you know can you please stop for just a little bit um, but I do anticipate there this could be a very entertaining game for the fans 
both teams have some high-end offensive guys that can generate offense uh, quickly. So it, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But I, you know, I would anticipate, like you said, it, it's setting up for a lot of uh, scoring chances for these two teams. But then that kind of brings back one thing, though, Viggs. You know, Minnesota's got a strong defense. Um, but will that matter? I mean, a lot of times it's just kind of how the games go. Well, it feels like sometimes when Minnesota gets in trouble, it's because they get turnovers at the blue lines or someone is cycling the puck and makes the wrong move too high in the zone and leaves everybody else exposed. You know, I think that's the, the times that Minnesota gets in trouble. And maybe if there's a team hunting for offense, that's where those things can happen. And the defensive strength gets nullified. Now, I don't think Minnesota is going to get hemmed in in their defensive zone for long periods of time. I think we saw Minnesota State do that maybe once or twice during the weekend, but mostly it was, I thought, Minnesota mistakes that allowed the Mavericks to create offense. And that's the same thing that happened in the second Lindenwood game. You had people starting to chase the game a little bit too much rather than letting it come to them, and that's what got them in trouble. Brad, is that what you saw coming out of North Dakota last weekend? Is like they're playing a Quinnipiac team that they know is talented and and there are points to be had and they, they got themselves in trouble? Well, I you know, I, I watched some of the the clips of the Lindenwood game and and I felt there were times, you know, all these guys play summer hockey. And in summer hockey, there's not really a lot of hitting. The forwards kind of play D. The D play forward. They just, you know, it's a lot of freelancing. And a few of the clips, it was like, these guys are still playing summer hockey. Like the D are just jumping whenever, you know, leaving guys back. And, you know, I, I thought maybe there's there, there's some of that that needs to get out of North Dakota's game as far as uh, you got to cover guys in the slot. You can't leave a guy wide open in the slot. Um, you know, some of the Quinnipiac guys made, really good shots on their goals, like quick releases to the corner of the net. Um, but you can't leave a guy open. You, you got, you got to cover them. You got to do a better job tying up sticks. They had what, like three tip goals, a couple of them from 15 feet out. You know, I think sometimes, uh, you know, North Dakota does a better job tying up sticks and making it more difficult to get those tips. So I, I think there's a little bit of early season hockey when I've seen some of these uh, watch some teams play, and that's probably not super strange uh, when you're a week or two into the year that you're going to have some of that summer hockey still around. So, Yeah, I, I've seen at Mariucci, the coaches making a point that just because you're near a, a check doesn't mean that player is covered and can't create offense. So you've seen a little bit more intensity on the coaching staff with battles, you know, in front of the net and in space, you know, maybe delaying the puck coming in to encourage those battles to go for a little bit for positioning just to get everybody ready for a series like they have coming up. All right. Well, let's hear your predictions on the weekend then, gentlemen. We'll start with you, Brad. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, it's, uh, I think the, the split is like a safe pick. Um, if you, if you look at these teams series, there haven't been tons of sweeps uh, mm -hmm. over the years. Um, maybe a, a tie and a, a win for someone would be a good pick. There have been plenty of those, uh, but just flat out sweeps either way. They haven't been really all that common. Um, 
you know, the, the last game I saw North Dakota play, they, they weren't great. You know, they made a lot of mistakes. So that's kind of in the back of my mind uh, as I make the pick. But that being said, I, I still think they're a pretty good team. Um, and uh, I'm going to take the safe way out of this and, <laughs> and just say a split. I know it's boring. No, I, not at all, because it's it happens all the time. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't think they can sweep Minnesota. I think Minnesota is too good. But, you know, I also think North Dakota is going to be a pretty good team this year, too. I, I think these are – I had the, both these teams' top five preseason nationally, and um, so far nothing has happened this year to make me second-guess that at this point. So, And really, Brad, I can't wait to see Minnesota State, Quinnipiac, North Dakota, and, and Minnesota come the year, end of the year, yeah. where, where they've really grown and kind of – Yeah, I, I think those together. are good teams, yeah. Make yeah. a great Frozen Four right there. <laughs> it would, yeah. I, I, I think those are four of the top six. I think I have Mankato six, maybe. Um, I'm trying to think who else I had up there. I had Denver up there. The, the De- Denver's kind of like Minnesota. They they had they have all their a lot of their guys on the blue line back. Mm-hmm. They have their goalie back. They have really good players up front, but they also lost a lot of really good players up front. So it might mm-hmm. take some time up there. Yeah, uh, they they just don't have you know Logan Cooley, you know as the freshman coming in. They have good players and they're going to be there, but maybe not quite as quickly as as Cooley. And for Minnesota Vigs, you know they they just they ended up being, you know their last game was a loss, but they moved up to the number one spot when Denver got swept. Just kind of the way how things worked out. But uh, how do you feel they do this weekend? I mean, it was Brad talking about a win and a tie for Minnesota as being probably a, a a pick that's safer than a sweep. And I kind of agree with him on that mindset because I just don't know if Minnesota's depth at center is is there yet. I think Aaron Huglin is still trying to find his spot on the ice and, and how to make an impact on the game at that position. Uh, I still worry sometimes about Minnesota's goaltending. It can be very solid, but it also can get put under pressure and I think when you play a team like North Dakota that's going to get chances, they can really expose what's there. And, you know, I think Closer's a solid goalie, but I, I don't think he's a goalie that wins games at this point. You know, he's got to show a little bit more. Uh, so I'm seeing a, a win for Minnesota on, on Friday and then a tie on Saturday. I think I could see a, a maybe a tighter, lower-scoring game on Saturday after the teams get uh, – some uh, strong coaching from their staffs during the video <laughs> session that morning. It might be uncomfortable for both uh, teams after this one. Cause I think there's a lot of excitement that's going to be on the ice on Friday. I think it's going to be an outstanding atmosphere. It's two super talented teams. I think Minnesota's power play is looking good. We don't know yet what their penalty kill is going to look like. Uh, Bob joked that uh, he's trying to find penalty killers and it's going to take reps. I just hope we don't see a lot of reps this weekend. <laughs> so we'll see, you know, Minnesota is usually one of the least penalized teams in the country under Bob. So I would imagine we'll see that continue this weekend. So limited special teams play would be good for five on five racehorse hockey. I'm with you on the prediction there, Viggs. A, a win and a tie for Minnesota is kind of what I'm thinking as well. I'm not going to go all Homer and say sweet for Minnesota because I, I think you're right. It's just, just, uh, it's just, it's too early to predict either of these teams. Honestly, it is. So. Yeah, I mean, I think Saturday we could see like a three-three tie where both teams are unhappy with some of the goals they gave up. 
Yeah. You know, it could be one of those kind of nights. Well, that's what uh, a few years ago, I think it was the first series back after their hiatus was in Mariucci and they played that crazy five, five tie. Um, and then the next night it was really low scoring. I remember uh, Minnesota won, but I think, it, I mean, there weren't a lot of goals. It might've been like a two, one game. I want to say so. I could totally see a weekend like that. Yeah. Coming up. <laughs> what are you working on this for this weekend, Brad, for uh, the paper? Well, first, uh, I, I wrote a story on uh, a feature on Tyler Clavin. Um, he's a guy who has a lot of modern defenseman qualities to him. He can skate. He can just hammer a puck from the blue line. But the, the thing that's intriguing about him is he's one of the guys who still has the old school. He can just flatten guys and be really physical. Um, it, it can change games with some of his big hits. Uh, and it, it can change games if he takes penalties. Last year in the Friday game against Minnesota, Gophers go up 3-1. Um, North Dakota gets one back, and all of a sudden, major penalty. And, you know, it was in the third period, and there, there goes half the time you have to catch up. Um, so, he's, he, you know, he's a guy that's trying to uh, find ways to stay physical without taking uh, big penalties. So he's... He could be a guy that, uh, you know, impacts the game this weekend. Uh, I, I think I came up with uh, six guys who I think uh, could have big impacts on the game, three on each team. Uh, probably not like a huge shocker on the people I chose, but, um, you know, Snuggerud's been uh, shooting the puck a lot on the power play. I noticed they, they like getting to, getting it to him on in the left circle. Cooley can re- do a lot of things. He can shoot, skate, you know, he, he's on the other circle. One thing I found interesting, I was looking at some advanced stats. Uh, Matthew Nyes, he, he's not missed a shot wide yet this entire year. He's shot the puck 18 times. Um, 17 have been on net and one was blocked. So he is getting pucks to the net. They're just probably not going in at the rate that he would like to even you know, most guys would take two goals in four games, but, um, you know, he can obviously really impact games. And he's, he's one of the guys on the team that can bring a physical element to for them. Yes. Um, the, the other guys I, I listed, you know, uh, Reese Gaber is, uh, did I list Gaber? No, I didn't. Um, I, I did list Jackson, Jackson Blake, you know, he's a twin cities guy is uh, going back. He's got the extra time and space on the big sheet, even though I don't think he really needs it. He's the guy that creates it out of anywhere. And then the other guy I wrote was Ethan Frisch. He's he's a he was the defensive defenseman of the year in the NCHC last year, and he's going to get a lot of tough assignments this year this week. You know, I think they're going to want him on the ice as much as possible with Gophers' best players. Um, offensively, he jumps in at smart times and can if he gets a look, he's really good at picking corners. Um, but the the matchups are going to be really interesting. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Minnesota go to that big line. Uh, because it's at home. Now all of a sudden uh, they can avoid the send in Hain and, and uh, Jammernick line that North Dakota loves matching up against top teams. If this is in Grand Forks, maybe you don't put those guys together because you know, guess what? They're going to get send in Hain and Jammernick uh, all the time. You know, m- maybe Bob doesn't care, but a-, a lot of teams, when they have the one big line, I've seen them come in, they play in Grand Forks Friday. Saturday, they say, nope, we're getting them away from that line. Um, and, you know, I think having last line change, you know, 
might lend to Bob putting those guys together because he can find matchups he wants with those guys. Yeah, the interesting thing with Minnesota is Bob hasn't been a big line matching kind of guy lately. Huh. You know, he's been rolling his guys. The one matching that they'll do is they'll make sure that they put the defensive pairings out against the big players on the other team. So you'll see Brock Faber play against the the most talented offensive line on the other team more often than not because he can play, you know, 30-plus minutes a night if you need him to, so you don't really care about his ice time going up. But with the forwards, he seems to roll his lines hmm. pretty regularly because he wants to get them in a rhythm more than caring about a matchup, at least until the third period. Hmm. Hmm. Good stuff. Viggs, you going to be working on anything in the next coming weeks? We do have something coming to go for Puck Live on the changes that are happening at Mariucci. Oh, so this great. is probably the last uh, series here hmm. on the big sheet. You know, they'll be coming down to 89 feet of width here in the, the latest redesign. And uh, I'm trying to get some more insights onto what kind of seating changes could be coming. You know, because it, it sounds like, you know, rink shrinks coming next summer, but the seating thing may come the next year. Yeah, because they'll do some seating adjustments because they'll have yes, to, to fill with the space. The, to fill the space. Premium seats. Yep, but there are other changes coming in a phase two at Mariucci that'll update the concourse and maybe some premium areas throughout the bowl, but that's still TBD. Uh, this first phase, though, is approved and funded, so in enjoy the big sheet while you can this time, Brad. You, you know what was interesting is I was just looking at this this week that when Ralph Ingleston Arena was built in 01, they put an Olympic ice sheet as a practice rink there too. And they were practicing on the Olympic sheet for more road series than at home because you had Minnesota, St. Cloud, CC, Alaska, Anchorage, and then Wisconsin isn't a full 200, but it's close enough to where you practice up there. Um, trying to think, am I forgetting any? But uh, and now we're getting down there. Mankato, we are just talking. About Mankato was Olympic. And Mankato, yes, Mankato. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, Mankato shrunk theirs. Minnesota's shrinking theirs. CC got rid of theirs entirely and got a new arena. Uh, Anchorage is no longer playing at uh, their old Sullivan Arena. Um, and, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, uh, Vigo and I were talking earlier this week. I, I think there's only four true Olympic arenas left in college hockey. Well, Arena. even at the Olympics, we've seen the IHC look for NHL-sized buildings. <laughs> you know, so it used to be prepare people for these events. Now the those committees want to play in NHL buildings because it's such a development path now mm -hmm. that, that it didn't used to be. So Can it's you been imagine amazing to see in college hockey pro players on the on that ice though? I th I think it could have been fun. <laughs> it's a di it's a different game. I mean, it yeah. turns into much more of a possession game with those really mm -hmm. skilled players, and there's less hitting, and and the game becomes more of a you know strategic battle than the up-and-down, hard-hitting, pucks-to-the-net type action that we're used to. And Mariucci will definitely be kind of an odd arena just because, you know, 89 feet, the circumference in the corners will be a little deeper, but they can't go full. They can't quite go NHL, but yeah. it'll, it'll be more of a tight radius. It'll be an odd place. Yep. But it's an odd place now because – yeah, those corners are huge. Oh, it's you I know, mean, they I, moved, they, uh, Lucia moved the red line. What about 10 years ago, Viggs? He moved it back. So there wasn't as much room because behind the net, it used to be just like 
like was like 15 feet or something by the red line. It was something ridiculous like that. But yeah, I, I talked to some of the players about that this week and um, I asked them, what's it like when you walk out on the, the ice there? And everyone used the exact same word. They're like, it's an ocean. <laughs> so um, it, it's definitely different. Um, but yeah, this we, we played some old old man pickup hockey out there. <laughs> it's even worse for us old slow guys. You can really escape into the corners and oh, no one wants yeah. to chase you in there. So, you know, it, it benefits you sometimes and other parts it hurts you. And I think especially on, on special teams, power plays can get really out of sorts there because when you're on the wall and in the corners, you're really a long ways away. It's going to be fun. So look forward to that, Vigs, in the coming days and weeks. Uh, um, Brad, thanks for coming on with us again. Absolutely. It's always fun to have you on. And we'll have, obviously, I have to get you on again next year. But after That's that, me. we'll have to see what happens with the games. Yeah, and then we'll take a year off and maybe a year after that or two. We'll see. Time will tell. But, uh, yeah, we know they got one more game, uh, one more series next year. And, and then the year after, they will not be playing in, in the regular season. Uh, so, well, if there's any playoff potential playoff matchups, we'll get you back on because perfect, you know, a regional or a frozen four, it'd be fun to get you back on. So, yeah, thanks for coming on with us. We appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely, thanks, guys. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the GPL podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week to recap the North Dakota series and preview the series of the Ohio State with our guest, Paul Capanigri. For those of you currently watching live, stay tuned for a bit of overtime. For the rest of you, we'll see you next time on the GPL podcast.